The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Take your Bible, please, and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't have a copy of the scripture, there's one under a chair in front of you or close by. We're on page 968 in the chair Bible. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, our focal text is verses 6 through 11. I invite you, if you would, to stand as we recognize this is the word of God. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have given testimony to us of this truth through your word. And I thank you that as a local body of believers, we have seen witness and testimony of this truth at work. So humble us now with your word and bring us to right hearted obedience that results in cheerful giving. We trust you now in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. There are at least three attitudes to giving in this room, and it's possible to have this attitude either as a person who gives or does not give. The first attitude is indifference. So you come to a moment in a worship service to wear an offering plate or some way that you've called on on to give, and you just say, I'm not doing that. Pass the plate by and don't think another thought about it. It's also possible to give and do it the exact same way. To drop your offering in there or to have done it online and to give no thought that you are participating with God's people at that moment to give for the sake of the gospel. So indifference. The second is anger. There are people right now, if you said, man, if I knew this guy was preaching on giving, I wouldn't have come. I know this. People stayed home today because this was a special offering. I know that. It upsets people to even think about giving. So they don't. Or, or there are people who give and are still mad about it. Got to. Then there's joy. Now, do you understand it's possible not to give and have joy because you realize I get to keep it? I don't have to give it, I'll keep it for myself. But then there's the joy of giving. 
That's what I'm talking about today. So I, I, just, I just want to say this from the onset. Whoever is listening to me, I don't want your money. Parkwood doesn't want your money. We're not after your money. I'm, there's no gimmick. I, I just want to unfold God's word to you as God intended it and give some illustration from the life of this body of believers of what cheerful giving looks like. Now, Even though we're going to make some personal applications, I want you to hear this. This text was written to a church, not to an individual. It was written to the body of Christ at Corinth, which was, let's describe it, for those of you who have not been here when I'm preaching through Corinthians, they were a wealthy city, wealthy port city. So whether you were wealthy or not, you were affected by the wealth of Corinth. So whether you are wealthy or not seated here today, you are affected by the wealth around you in which you live. In other words, I've been to poverty in other parts of the world. Our poorest are rich compared to the poverty at other places in the world. The other thing you need to know about the Corinthians is they consider themselves to be self-sufficient people who ask for nothing. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? You ask an average American if you could pray for them, they'll say, no, I'm fine, I have everything I need. So it's in that kind of environment that Paul writes this letter and it's in that kind of environment that I preach this sermon. And here's my main idea. God glorifying cheerful giving flows from hearts that trust God's faithfulness. Now, I love the Bible. I wish it was all like this all the time. It's not, but when you have growth group this week and somebody says, what's the main point of this text? It's right here. The point is, verse six, can it be even more clear? The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, this is an agricultural illustration. Let's make sure you get it. You reach into a bag of seeds. You take a little bit of seed out. You sow a little bit of seed. The harvest you're going to get is a little bit of harvest. If you reach into the bag and you take out a whole lot of seed and you sow bountifully a lot of seed, then you're going to reap a bountiful harvest. Now, here's how most people interpret what Paul's saying. They take verse 6, they yank it out of context, and here's what they understand it to mean. That if I am faithful, God will be faithful. It's contingent on me that if I'm faithful, God will be faithful. And I want you to erase that. That is not what the entire context is teaching you. The context is teaching you this. God is is faithful. That alters how you approach how you give. Because God is faithful, we trust His faithfulness and we understand that the well of His gracious supply will never run dry. And he breaks it down, starting with verse 7, with this first truth that cheerful giving comes from the heart. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, he narrows it down here to individuals. So among the congregation at Corinth, each one, each individual, must make a prior decision beforehand. In 1 Corinthians, he says explicitly to set aside giving for the first day of the week. To plan and how to give to support and to move the, the ministry, support the ministry of the local church. So this is an individual decision that each one must decide in his heart. 
not reluctantly, or some of your translations say, not grudgingly. Literally, this is what this means. Not with grief or sorrow. It's not something that we'll be upset about or angry about or sad about that we, that we have to do. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. We try really hard, I try really hard not to bring any form of guilt trip when it comes to giving. Some of you still feel it because that's how you grew up in church. Guilt and manipulation were used as a means to get you to do something. I, I, I can't stand that myself. I try my best in everything that we say and how we communicate not to do it. But some of you still feel it. And if you feel it, don't give. That's just my simple explanation to you. Because the Bible's clear here. You're not to give under compulsion. But let me say this to you. If you feel that here, find somewhere where you don't feel that. Because God's commanded you to give. That's not optional. There's a place to where we were to do it cheerfully. For God loves a cheerful giver. This, this, this means this. God's not doing a tit for tat here. This is not works-based righteousness. It means God takes pleasure in cheerful givers. You say, well, that's New Testament. That's not what the Old Testament teaches. You don't understand the Old Testament then. I am reading from Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 and 2. This is where Paul got this idea. Listen to what it says. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel, for they take, that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. Here's what God is saying. The evidence of his blessing in the lives of his people is that they give cheerful because he is the source and he is the end of the giving. We recognize it is from him and it is to him that we give. So his provision to give and the act of giving are both the result of grace. God loves a cheerful Giver. Now, let me illustrate this. There are multiple experiences. I'm going to use only one here. It's been over 10 years ago, and I don't remember the exact time. I guess I could have researched it. We have long been involved in Central Asia and in that part of the world, which is largely a Muslim context. There were two Turkish believers who were arrested because of their faith and their tie to a small, fledgling local church. They were arrested and placed in jail. It, it was on national news and, and regularly. It wasn't as big a deal as Andrew Brunson was last year, the, the pastor in Turkey who was arrested. On a Wednesday night in a gathering, I shared about these two brothers and I called on the church to pray because they were in jail at this moment in time. When I finished preaching, two people approached me immediately. The first was an elderly widow from our church. I could tell you where she lives. She's no longer with us. She approached me and she said, I want to pay for a lawyer to defend these two young men. So we talked for a few minutes and standing behind her was another individual, a man in our congregation whom the Lord has blessed his business and he has done very, very well. He overheard part of this. He said, I'm here to tell you the same thing. I want to pay for lawyers to defend these two young men and to see what we can do. And then he said this, because I'm thinking the same thing. He said, you need to tell her it's taken care of. She doesn't need to spend their money. 
So the next day I called her. Now she may or may not have been a little bit of a spitfire, but I called her and I was, I was trying to explain to her that we were concerned for her and this was going to be a very expensive endeavor. And she said this to me. She said, young man, don't you rob me of this joy. She said, here's what I'll do. I'll split the difference with him. I'll pay half and he pays half. Now, here's what you need to know. Through the efforts of those lawyers, those two men were set free. Nobody knew. Nobody knew that an elderly woman and a businessman from Gastonia, North Carolina, were the source. As the word got out among our workers and that fledgling little church, they were blown away that somebody from the U.S. would come to the aid of this, these two brothers and that church to help them. That's what cheerful giving looks like. Second, Cheerful giving flows from God's gracious and abundant supply. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is the sovereign and all-powerful source. He is able to make all grace abound to you. Now, Paul is being emphatic here. That God's supply is not dependent on us. It is an act of God's grace. We do not earn it or we do not deserve it. We don't trigger God's grace. God's grace comes from God Himself. He is the one who graciously moves and makes all grace abound to you. Why? So that having all sufficiency. Now notice here, there are five alls. All grace, all sufficiency. Now the Corinthians, I told you earlier, they considered themselves self-sufficient. They didn't want to ask anybody for anything. Sounds like our culture. Here's what God is doing. God's taking self-sufficiency and sweeping it out from under our feet and saying, I'm the one that makes you sufficient. I am the source. You say, well, I've worked hard for what I've earned. Well, how could you work hard? God's given you the health. God's given you the opportunity. God has blessed you with everything that you have. Some of you say, well, I don't have much. You have something. And God has blessed you with that something that you have. And I just want to say this right now. I may repeat this because it's later in my notes, but it's in my head. Those of you who think, well, Parkwood's a wealthy church. No, it's not. There are a few people in this church that God is blessed with a lot and they're gracious and generous in how they give it, but primarily we're just regular people. There are people who own their own business. There are people who have high-paying jobs. There are a lot of blue-collar people. There are a lot of people that live on a fixed income who are members of this church. And seated beside you, you don't know who's who. All I can tell you is this that this is a congregation of people that I have witnessed who understand that what they have is from God, whatever it is. And that God sufficiently has supplied for them. Now, look at it. How many things has God supplied for you? All things. Not some things. God has supplied all things. How often? At all times. If God intends for us to build this lobby, He'll give it. 
And listen to me. I, I'm just going to say this clearly. It's not going to come from some rich benefactor somewhere. It's going to come from us. It's what he's teaching here. God has supplied it in our lives at this time for it to, to take place. Why? So that you may abound in every good work or all, there's all again, in all good work. That God supplies individuals so that together we might join in the work of God in the world, in this community, and at the uttermost parts of the earth. Look in verse 9. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. This is a quotation from Psalm 112, verse 9. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. So here's what Paul's saying. God is the source of the righteous. It is God himself who scatters abroad, who distributes freely to the poor. So you got to ask a question. How's God do this? He does it through the righteous. God supplies seed to the sower. He provides into the lives of his people and his people are then in turn the ones who give. Now look how he does this, verse 10. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply to the one who is the sufficient supplier. He will supply seed and he will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Again, he's drawing from the Old Testament, Isaiah 51, 5. Verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. See, see what, here's what God's teaching. That he supplies seed for us. We sow the seed. The seed sprouts up and gives a harvest. And as a result, you sow more seed and it sprouts up. This is how the kingdom of God continues. We're not riding off the generation of, of believers who have gone before us. We are grateful for them. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that at the end of the sermon. We are grateful for those who have gone before us and what they've done. But that seed has been planted into our lives so that it will grow up now and produce a bountiful harvest. Now here's what I realize. This is a challenge in the 21st century. People are spending more on themselves than ever before. Some of you don't know what it's like to eat pinto beans and salmon patties. Just think of the enormous amount of money we spend on food. It's crazy. And what it means to understand what, what God has blessed into our lives. This also makes me think of a few weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 3. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. It's God. He's the one who is supplied. He's the one who is multiplying. So this is a declaration, a promise from God. This is not some kind of wishful thinking that we're dependent on the Lord who both supplies and multiplies our seed. We're not just trusting him for the rain. We're trusting him for the seed and for the harvest. You say, okay, well, what? what I've just never given. I don't know how. I don't know where to start. I can relate. I can relate. And if there are people listening to this that are from my former church in life. I mean this in no ugly way. When I moved here, I was wounded in a lot of ways. Uh, part of that wounding was, was how my family was taken care of by a local church. 
And they've since corrected how they do that. And I use that disappointment and anger to not give. And then I moved here. And I witnessed for the first time in my life cheerful generosity. That changed me. Not my salary. That changed me. Of watching a people who gave out of dependence on the Lord. So here's how it started for us. Well, we just won't go out to eat on Friday night and we'll take that money and we'll give it. And then we, we started doing that. We started seeing other ways. Well, we cannot do this and we can give here. And before we knew it, we were not only giving, we were giving generously. Here's my point to you. You've got to start somewhere. I can remember sitting out in the lobby. This illustration, for those of you who have been in office, it wasn't the other. I was sitting out in the lobby and there was a physician in our church who was extremely generous. And I said to him in tears, I want to be generous. He said, start right now, Jeff. Now, quit waiting on the day you're going to have more. Start right now. That was transformational. So quit waiting on this idea that you're going to get rich. The prosperity preachers have ruined us when it comes to giving. They've ruined us. They made us mad about giving and they made us believe something wrong about giving. That if I give, God's going to make me rich. That is not what God's saying. What God is saying is when we give, he continues to supply and multiply. Not so we can spend it on ourselves or waste it, but so we can increase the harvest of our righteousness. Why? Because cheerful giving glorifies God. Look in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way. It doesn't mean you're going to be made rich. It means God's going to enrich in every way to be generous in every way. That's what that doctor was saying to me. You, God enriches your life so that you can be generous. Quit waiting on a lot of money. Experience generosity now because here's what it does. Which through us, you see that? Not me, us. When we come together from every background of who we are, of a congregation that represents Gaston County, not just one piece of it, when we come together and we generously give, it produces to God thanksgiving. So I have a question for you, brothers and sisters. Has God called us to make disciples among our neighbors and the nations? Has he? Yes. Then God's going to supply. I'm grateful we got missionaries on staff now. They think different than, than us. So I'm sitting with a group of them the other day. We were talking about growth groups, and one of them said, what's, what's, the, what's the end vision for growth groups? I said, what do you mean? What, what's the end vision? How, how, how would this end? And I said, well, I just want to see us multiply growth groups. That's not an end vision, he said. What's the end vision? He rambled around. He knew, he knew he'd heard me say it, but he made me say it. I said, well, they would have a growth group in every neighborhood in Gaston County. He said, that's an end vision. And some of you are going, that'll never happen. I'm talking every neighborhood. I'm talking behind ROs. I'm talking everywhere. That we go everywhere with the gospel because if we go everywhere with the gospel and we penetrate every neighborhood for the sake of the gospel, then churches are going to get planted. And more people are going to come to know Christ. Have you noticed attendance has been down in here? Have you, have you thought, where'd everybody go? Do you know where they went? Mount Holly. They all went to this service primarily. 
And if you're wondering why they're empty seats, they left. So let me say this. Last week, all of you went to, went to the leaves and like this whole front row was empty. So next time that happens, move down. Because I was like, I can't see you people way up in the cheap seats. If that happens again, let's fill it. Listen, here's what will happen. This has happened before. It's fourth church we've planted. God's going to send more people here. These seats will start filling up again. Oh, by the way, if you usually go to another service and you're here at 11, we need you here for a few months. Seriously, we do. So it doesn't look empty. All right? Consider it if you can come. God will supply everything that we need. We're called to be a distinct people. We have a distinct calling in a distinct time and place. And one of the distinctions that needs to continue to be true of us, according to God's word, is that we have cheerful giving. So here's my question. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, are we experiencing cheerful giving with grateful hearts? Really, I'm asking the question, why do we give? Tax benefit, government's basically taking that away from us. So you can get your name on a building, never happened here. We don't do that. Why do we give? We give because we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest example of giving. Now watch this. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, a teaching on giving, is bookended by these verses. Verse 9 of chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's where the whole grace discussion began. What we did not earn or deserve from the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now those of you who don't make that about money, that is not what it means. It means this. That the Lord Jesus Christ, who was completely and utterly righteous, without sin, rich, became poor. On the cross, he became sin for us. So that... Those of us who are poor, in sin, bankrupt, might become rich. That we might receive the righteousness of Christ. A righteousness that is not our own. That is the gospel. That is what we believe. He goes on and then teaches about giving. And then he comes to verse 15 of chapter 9. Look at it. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Where'd that come from? He's saying the motivation of giving is Christ. And when we look at the indescribable gift as Christ, it changes our fundamental understanding of how we look at a generous life. The sacrificial death of Christ calls us to be a sacrificial people who give. Last week we talked about faithful stewards. A faithful steward's got to be a giver. Faithful stewards and cheerful giving go together. And the Lord has trusted and blessed Parkwood to sow and to reap bountifully. Now, this could be interpreted as, as I'm, I'm, I'm bragging. I'm not. I, I, and I can't make you know my heart. But I don't trust you know this stuff. In fact, I didn't consciously put it together until Zach and I sat down and done some research this week. Zach is our administrator. In the last 14 years, I want to tell you what's happened. And the reason I'm choosing 14 years is 14 years ago, we had the first exponential Sunday. Here's what happened on that day. On that day, we gave a million dollars one day. And within six months, had given $1.6 million. We purchased the porch, which was the gymnastics gym, and remodeled it. And that's where our student ministry now there are 180 kids over there on Sunday nights. 
They've outgrown it. Praise God. Since that time, now listen to this, because here's what the naysayers said. We'll never recover. We gave that much money. We're never going to, it's going to affect everything. You listen to this. Since to that, in the last 14 years, we have given over $5 million to international and national missions offerings. That's not from our budget. Wait, 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 wait. There's a lot more. Since that time, we have given $2.5 million to fund other building projects, such as the renovation of the worship center, the building of the kids' building, and I, I can't think of the things. We have given thousands of dollars to defend the sanctity of human life and to provide for adoptions. There are children sitting in this room right now who've been adopted because you gave to help their moms and dads go and get them. Our members have not knowingly done without when they found themselves in times of need through loss of job or physical ailments that have come in their life. Now, I'm not saying there's not been members who have done without. We didn't know it if you did. And we have never asked for a benevolence offering, ever. You just give. You give and that fund replenishes. I guess when you find out their needs, you give to it. And then above that, on top of that, we have met and exceeded our budget, even through the Great Recession. God has supplied through you. Now, when I think about this, it makes me smile. It doesn't make me smile. It makes me laugh. How can this be? How can this little old mill town church do this? It's God. And let me take the words of 1 Corinthians. We're just fools for Christ. <laughs> and we want our giving to be a cheerful giving. We want to cheerfully say with gratitude in our giving, in our gatherings, in our teaching, in our living, in our going. We want to say to this community and to each other, behold the Lamb of God. Amen. This morning when we were praying before we came over here, Jacob Manier, who now is in his 20s, who works with me on a daily basis, was praying. And he was recounting 2005. He was 11 years old. And he said, God, I just want to thank you that I've grown up in a place to where I've seen generosity. We have no idea the impact of what we're doing is having on each other. And the impact of what it's having in this community just a few minutes ago, I was able to go with a child of a family and drop an orange ball in the box. You know why? Because a mama was praying for her son. And this week she shared the gospel and he believed. That's why we do what we do. And may we continue to say to each other and to the community and to the nations, Behold the Lamb of God. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for the sacrifice of Christ. And we say thanks be to God for his indescribable gift that transforms everything about us. 
Lord, protect us as a church from using guilt and manipulation and the ways of the world to accomplish your work, which is ludicrous and will never happen. May we continue to look to your word and willingly be fools for Christ's sake and to do what you've called us to do and to trust you in every step of the way. Lord, take this message today. Continue to impact our hearts and lives and continue to call us to be a people who say to one another and to the world, behold the Lamb of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. As we respond to this message, Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.